ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 18 of the Chalk Dinosaur Podcast. I'm your host, John O'Halloran. And on today's episode, for the first time, I tried to do a remote podcast uh, with today's guest, Steve Ippolito of The Clock Reads. Um, we, we did it with a Google Hangout um, and tried to get good quality audio and video, and it turned out to be a, a really big challenge, and a lot of things went wrong, but we got a lot of, we got a lot of it. Uh, there's a, there were a couple parts um, where mid-conversation, the, the screen capture just stopped recording for some reason, and and uh, the, the audio recording just like stopped for no reason. Um, you know, first time doing it this way, I have no idea why that happened, but you know, caught it pretty quick and started up the conversation. So you might notice at a couple points in the uh, conversation, it, it gets cut off abruptly and then, and then starts up and we, we're a little bit disoriented and have to get rolling again. But anyway, Stevie Polito is uh, a great drummer uh, for the Clock Reads, a Pittsburgh band, and I first came upon Steve at Farm Jam 2016 when I saw the Clock Reads for the first time, and um, they were a standout that weekend, and Steve was a standout as well. And if you'd never been to Farm Jam Alema, it's wonderful because you can get literally right next to whoever you want to see play. And uh, usually I want to watch the drummers a little bit closer, so I'll literally stand next to the drum riser and watch them bang on those skins. So, uh, since then, we've, we've uh, worked together in, uh, here and there in a couple different ways. Um, we played a couple of the same shows, shared some bills. The first one we did together was a Carnegie Mellon orientation event. And uh, yeah, it was outdoors. And I remember uh, I offended an old man. I, I, I was playing this uh, loud guitar solo. And, uh, you know, my amp was turned up pretty loud. It's a Fender Twin Reverb. But, you know, it's got a lot of juice, and it's like a laser beam, uh, you know, if it's pointed at you. And uh, this old man was walking down the sidewalk, minding his own business. And uh, I'm playing this, probably this obnoxious solo. And when he walks in front of my amp, I see him wince in pain and cover his ears. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I felt pretty bad about that. I'm sorry. But uh, since then... We've also done a couple collaborative shows where um, I sit in with the clock reads and we we play a set of music that's you know different from what they do, different from what I do, kind of just a you know collaborative set of uh, different stuff. Just kind of um, yeah, see what happens there. Those are always interesting, uh, and we we perform those under the name Clock Dinosaur. We've done uh, maybe four, four of those shows. I've also done uh, I've done some mixing. I mixed one of their live shows, uh, one of their New Year's shows, and uh, mastered the uh, Inner Peaks 
And, uh, I'm trying to think if I... Oh, yeah, and I made a song with Michael Berger, the bass player, called The Chalk Reads. And, um... Yeah, so, a little bit here and there, a little bit of salt over there, a little bit of pepper over here, a little bit of stew, you know? The stew's a good thing to eat because it has all the stuff you need in one pot. So, uh, that's, uh... That's uh, the main message of my stew advocacy program that I'm starting up. Um, anyway, please welcome the drummer of the clock reads the fanciest hands on the east side of the Mississippi. Pittsburgh zone, the man, the myth, the legend, Stevie Polito. Stevie Bolito, here he is. Enjoy the conversation. Stay healthy. Stay entertained. Stay interested in stuff. Do things that excite you in your own way. While you gotta be by yourself, all you gotta do is find something that's interesting and go down that rabbit hole until you know everything about that thing. And and uh, then whenever we get let out of the cage here, we can go nuts, nuts. Okay, here it is. All right. Cool. So Alrighty. I think we're all set up. Hell yeah. yeah. Let's do it. All right. So, uh, yeah, how was, that? how was the lesson? Oh, solid. Um, nothing too exciting. Just, uh, well, I had a couple makeups today and all that stuff. Uh, it's just, I teach a I teach a bunch of young kids. I mean, I, I shouldn't say that all ages really. Um, but mostly average, like probably average at like 12 years old, something like that. Um, I think this kid was like eight though, maybe eight or nine. Um, yeah, I don't know. We, uh, I go through a variety of topics like, you know, for him, it's just about a lot of coordination basically. And doing you know the fundamentals i guess simple things i try to focus a lot on fundamentals um and strengthening those across the board uh with all my students really because i have some who have been playing let's say for years um but they never really took the time to really develop their fundamentals you know what i mean so yeah. then when i when then when i you know ask them to play something, even if it's as easy as just like a 16th note pattern on the hi-hat, you know, something like that, it might fall short because they never like focused on this sort of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, like, I don't know how many people will get this besides drummers, but we talk a lot about um, the orbital motion of your hand. Like, so... What I like to, the analogy I like to make is instead of thinking about hitting the surface of a head, you know, with uh, basically just downward momentum, like you're using a hammer or something like that, thinking about it more of as in a circular motion, you know? So a lot of people like to think of drums as just, or the notes you play on a drum or really any percussive instrument as like points on a line, you know, very linear, that kind of thing. Um, but what really opened me up to, um, 
you know, will just like kind of like change my fundamental because I used to do that too, just really thinking about just like, all right, I have to hit perfect 16th notes here. Um, and, but it ended up being like kind of like robotic sounding, you know, at the end of the time, there wasn't a whole lot of feeling, but then, uh, I think it was through learning about the molar stroke, the molar to see, this is like, you know, super drum nerdy kind of thing right now. (laughs) Um, but, uh, so the molar stroke is a stroke you do where it's this kind of whip action in a nutshell, this whip action thing that you kind of do with your hand. Um, I found that out from a guy named Jim Chapin. He's online on YouTube and stuff like that. Uh, and then it was further reinforced when I watched this Neil Pert video, actually. Rest in peace. Um, and he talked about the orbital motion of playing, where basically instead of taking those that points on a line thing that I just mentioned, you really kind of think of it as like rhythms are more circular, you know, yeah. so... Um, so even if you're playing, let's say eighth notes, one and two, and, um, in between all that, when you're hitting the, the surface as one and two, and in between all of that is a subdivided 16th note, one E and a two E and a, you know what I mean? Yeah. So you can make a circle one uh one and two and you know in between like those notes that are like dancing in the air basically also have value um which a lot i feel like many people don't think about they're just worried about getting the the notes out correctly yeah but the the notes that kind of dance in the air when you play any percussive instrument are also important but like i said like kind of overlooked and they kind of fall in this orbital motion kind of feeling so like i said instead of doing this i tell them to do more of this motion yeah you know kind of like in a circle like almost treat it like looking at like an electron shell or something like that and that's where the notes are placed yeah Um, the actual strike is just yeah one point in the yeah in in this like shell you know um right i could see that yeah because you could you could play eighth notes with the like a really stiff stroke or something that's you know, uh, would be a lot different than if you had, yeah, we're, we're having like a fluid motion through the, the time in between the hits. Right. Yeah. It's the time in between. That's actually, it's really important, uh, to keep the uh, motion kind of going, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It keeps things more, more fluid. That's kind of the thing I try to achieve in my playing is just being, fluid as bruce bruce lee would say as be like water you know <laughs> oh put it in a teapot it becomes a teapot exactly yeah you got to become that feeling <laughs> uh exactly that's kind of what i try to get at and it's tough to get that through to younger students yeah but i have some other students that are like in their 30s i have one guy that's in his like 50s um so i try to preach that to them because they're playing everything I give them pretty much, but um, but when it comes to them getting the feeling down, because like I said, it's one thing to play a groove, but it's another thing to like really feel that and and just like make it feel good, like like all the great drummers do. Yeah, you know, like what really comes like a, like one that would come to mind would be like Steve Gadd. Mm-hmm. Like he's he's got like the best feel in the business, in my opinion. Um. You know, so like, you know, yeah, so those guys make 
things just feel good. And that's kind of was like what I was getting at. Yeah, I could I could understand that having like the uh the kinetic chain unbroken. Just the, yeah. The, yeah, that's a that's a good way to put it. <laughs> have you found it did you ever find it um difficult or have to put focus into okay, like whenever you um was there a point where you started practicing a certain exercise or like thinking about a certain thing to kind of like try and uh, try and get on board with the uh, kind of fluidity of your strokes? Sorry, say that again? What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> trying to... You said at a certain point you started uh, doing that motion, like the circular Oh, motion. yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, was there something that you like practiced or that you get your students to practice to try and reinforce that concept um yeah kind of i i I tell them to like exaggerate the motion you know just like Mm -hmm. almost like literally like i've also mentioned like wax on wax off like that's like pretty almost that's almost the motion yeah you know except you're not you're just doing it one way you know really so as long as so like you know just like you take it to one drum really just like on a practice pad and you know, start doing this, you know, like I said, it's kind of like a whip action kind of thing. Yeah. Um, to get them kind of feeling that I don't have any specific exercises really that I've come across or made up, but rather just like try to imitate what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Um, which since I've been doing these online lessons because of, you know, what we're going through right now, um, it's been harder to, for them to kind of grasp that. Yeah. Cause I feel like that's kind of something that needs to be taught in person. I mean, all, I, I firmly believe all lessons should be in person to yeah. really, to really make an impact. Um, but yeah. You like, know. How has that been going with, uh, over the past month or so? Doing uh, not bad. I mean, like I probably, I had about 25 private students that, I was teaching in-house at in stuff music. Um, and, uh, yeah. So like I'm still employed with them, which is nice. It's, you know, my only source of income right now, all my gigs are gone. Uh, the coffee shop I work at is furloughed meeting. Uh, so, so yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm fortunate to have some kind of work happening. Um, I did lose some students, you know, they were like, Oh, I don't have a drum set even though I told them like, they don't even need a drum set. You can just have a pad and some sticks, Yeah. but they just like weren't into it. And then, you know, I get it. Cause like people are under a bit of financial strain and with some things. Right. Um, so, so I went from like 25 students to like 19. Uh, so I didn't lose. Pretty... All right. Let's keep going and see, uh, see how far we get. <laughs> sure. Yeah. That's cool. Um, I don't know. Did you, uh, yeah. Did you want to keep, I forget. I, I honestly forget what we were just talking about. So you can just ask me whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, you want to talk about how you got involved with the guys in the clock reads and that band and yeah, kind of like the Genesis yeah. of the band for a bit. Yeah. From your perspective. Yeah, sure. Um, so that was like when we were all going, uh, to pit, uh, did a good, we all did, we all graduated pit at one point or another and, um, trying to think it was, yeah, I met John O'Brien first. 
Um, he lived on Ward Street in Oak- South Oakland, which eventually became like our first practice site. Um, and that house was something for sure. It was uh, very much just like a... Oh, man, I don't even know how to describe it. It was, I mean, it was a good time. A lot of good memories there, but just like a, just, you know, like a, just a, a den, <laughs> you den. know, like a, 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 a college, a college <laughs> den. Uh, yeah, I know. That. Of, yeah, you know, just, you, you could probably just imagine just um, a lot of debauchery, I'm sure, went on in that house before I was even involved. Um, but yeah, it, it basically came through, well, uh, Dante, my roommate at the time, um, introduced me to John. And funny enough, they had went to the same high school together, but really weren't friends in high school. But uh, reconnected um, somehow. I forget how exactly. But um, so he brought me over to his place one time when they were like hanging and then I found out, like, oh, John played guitar. And so he had a drum set in his room, and we just jammed. We did, like, a duo jam. Uh, we were, like, super into the Black Keys at that time. And I still like the Black Keys. Not too much. Not, like, their new stuff too much anymore. But uh, we kind of did a jam like that, you know, where he just, like, turned up his distortion and gained super high, and we just kind of, like, yeah. did a blues rock jam. And then we looked at each other, like, sweet. You know, like, one of those moments just kind of, like, you know, this is, this is cool. You know, I think this could work in some capacity. And then he mentioned he knew a bass player, uh, which was Aiden Epstein at the time. It wasn't Berger, who it was, you know, eventually became the bass player. Uh, but it was our buddy Aiden, or John's, I should say. It was originally John's friend Aiden, who was, um, uh, he was in the Pit Jazz Band at the time. We were both doing music. Um well, John specifically, he was like going for the music degree. I ended up not actually getting a music degree at Pitt. Um, but but I pretty much did everything music that I could because that's all I was really, really interested in. Uh, but anyway, so we like hooked up with Aiden. He came over. He started playing with us and we liked this trio that we were doing. I remember <laughs> I remember it probably still out there somewhere, maybe on like the depths of SoundCloud. <laughs> but there is a track the three of us just jamming over this uh one four progression and <laughs> we called it elevator to the moon <laughs> and uh it's pretty it's pretty funny uh if i find it i'll definitely send it to you or i'll ask yeah, john like um and uh yeah we just like went and just you know just had like a endless jam on this progression for a long time just you know just had fun with it you know we weren't nothing serious we just came together to play um and then uh we just yeah so we just kind of kept playing uh no gigs were booked at that time or anything you know we just kind of kept playing um and then so then separate of that it was kind of like two halves became a whole at one point because like i had john and aiden on one side and then uh, on a completely separate side, I met Jason and Berger. And I met Berger through my buddy Alex, who was like in a couple classes that I was taking. And he, you know, he was a guitarist slash drummer. And he said, I know a really good bass player, Berger. Um, he said, why don't you go? Why don't we hang out with him? So, so we hung out. 
and Jason just so happened to live in the same apartment building as Berger. Uh, funny enough, Berger and Jason also went to the same high school together, but Dude. so kind of weird how those two things, yeah. uh, you know, like two separate sides of the story, both had a similar background story. Um, so we played and then, uh, uh, and then, so fast forward a little bit, uh, we, I booked a trio gig with Jason and Berger. I th- yeah. Shoot. Um, I'm forget. I'm actually forgetting if it was Berger or Aiden, uh, in this, tr- in this original trio wasn't the clock yet. Right. It was just yeah. the trio that we had in the now defunct pub IG, which is below uh, a restaurant an, an Indian restaurant now on Atwood street. Well, it's not, it's not a thing anymore though. Uh, they tried to bring it back like a couple years ago and it just failed again. But pub IG was like where the clock had their first gigs and we had a trio thing there with Jason. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to say it was Aiden, me, Jason and Aiden did a thing and John was in the crowd and loved it and came up to us, uh, you know, and just like, you know, we got to start something, you know, like this is just cool. Like I also play. So that's, that was like the, the genesis of it was just playing this one gig at pub IG where we had a, had a pretty good crowd. Surprisingly, just a bunch of, Oakland college kids who came out to drink and um and so we just kind of started something from there just laid down some laid down some recordings at John's house at one point and Berger would come in Berger was like friendly with us so he would come in and kind of maybe trade off with Aiden a few times and play bass um Aiden was the bass player at that time um so then fast forward a little bit we started playing some house shows uh, at a place called Zulima. I think they called it the shark tank. If I remember, um, that was like a classic thing to do. Just, you know, play these basement shows. Most of them were just like super indie rock. So we were like the only like jammy sort of jazzy group that was happening at, I guess in that, in that kind of, uh, scene. Yeah. Uh, but all our friends were there. So we're just like, yeah, you know, we'll, play your house show for, for, for no money just for fun yeah um so yeah so we built that up a bit um, and we started playing at uncle jimmy's uh in um oakland also defunct now yeah i never heard of that one that was um yeah i mean this is before i knew you for sure uh that was like that was like basically our our home you know like where we would like book pretty much all of our shows yeah um and play yeah play at uncle jimmy's it was funny no one really went to that bar it was a super divey bar and honestly not managed too well either so like it's not like they had any good advertisement everyone went across to another bar called bootleggers or professionally named boots across the street most of people went there and you know up near main campus this was like a little more in south oakland yeah. Uh, but it was funny because all of our friends would basically just take over Uncle Jimmy's. Like it was kind of like just our spot. Yeah. Um, cool. So we made it our thing and we started playing shows there. The owner took a liking to it and noticed that we were pulling in a crowd because of it. So because of that, he built us a stage. 
Oh, nice. <laughs> Yeah, he ended up building this like collapsible stage that you would like pull out a pool table and put it in the other side of the room and then put this in, you know, just made out of, uh, you know, some two by fours and plywood, I think, or something like that. Maybe something a little stronger, but um, he would, you know, just throw that there. So then we had a little stage to play on. So we started booking some bands to play with us. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, like uh, Shane, you know, Shane McLaughlin yeah. from Buffalo Rose. Mm -hmm. He had a band back in the day called Bergman weird and, and yeah it's a funny name um and they were good i mean they were like a really cool basic basically a funk uh quartet yeah 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 it was it was a quartet um and they were you know yeah they were they were pretty funky almost gave me like a kind of like a Wolfpack vibe before those guys even existed um so so we really liked them so they came out and did like a show or two with us is that how you and, met Shane? Yeah, yeah, that's how I became friendly with Shane through through Bergman, um, that whole thing. Bergman, like Bergman, the name, or like Pittsburgh Berg? Oh, like B E R G man. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, know I really don't know where it came from, but it yeah, was a thing. I know someone for, named Bergman. But Bergman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No one. It's not like anyone in the band was named Bergman. Uh, it was just the. <laughs> it was just their thing. Um, so then they led us to Wilkins Block Party, for actually. Oh, so nice. now we're, we're kind of going through here a little bit. Was that when it was still on uh, Wilkins? When it was still on Wilkins, yeah. yeah we played We played just one year there, like right before the, the last year, basically. It was on Wilkins. Okay. Uh, which was like insane. It was so crowded. Uh, I'm glad they moved it. <laughs> yeah. I'm surprised they're still having it. Uh, well, not this year, but... Um, so yeah, so we like did that, uh, and then we had a bit of a personnel change when Aiden um, eventually went to Spain, and he did like a, you know, uh, an exchange program there, like through Pitt. Uh, so we needed a bass player to fill in, so Berger ended up filling in, and then he just kind of stuck. Uh, we threw Aiden on keys for a little bit, but then that wasn't really his thing, and we respected that. Like he's a killing bass player. Still is, uh, still is, um, he's in Chicago now, uh, freelancing, doing bass work for, I guess, really anything he can get his hands on. Yeah. Um, he's done a couple tours with a band called Diane Coffee. Um, and yeah, that's like the big one that he was doing a tour with. No more like indie rock. Um, but Aiden's got chops, uh, for sure. He went through the pit music program and all that stuff and uh great player for sure yeah so obviously oh sorry go ahead i was just gonna say that's that's interesting i didn't know i didn't know that i i remember i was surprised when i found out that aiden played bass because i only knew him from clock reads when he was playing keyboards and then i saw him yeah and he he played with druva in a band druva krishna oh yeah manic, um, soul. manic soul yeah the trio and then yeah I saw him in some other stuff and he was playing bass and everything else. And I, yeah, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. That's cool, um, yeah. I mean, his heart was definitely more in the bass and we respected that. So we kind of, you know, let him do his thing. I mean, we were sad to like have him leave, but you know, we kind of understood where it was going yeah. and we liked keys, but we just kind of went with the, with the quartet, two guitars, bass drums. Yeah. And then it just kind of took off from there. Um, we just started booking more and more gigs um did some festivals 
played bigger, more higher profile Pittsburgh shows. The Rex Theater really took us in. Uh, the Gray Area guys really took us in. And we're trying to like build up our name, which I mean, I think they really did help us with that. Um, we didn't really have any management. I don't think we ever really had management, even up until we like have been taking a pause now. Uh, we ended up like getting okay. a book a booking agent. Um, our yeah. friend Irwin uh, through a through we met him through a band called the Jaunty, which were Boston based, but then moved to Colorado. Um, so we ended up having a booking agent maybe the last like year or two of the yeah. band. What was that like? Because that's something I've wondered about. Because uh, yeah, I haven't had any management or, or booking, but it seems like that. Oh right, it's like a big piece of every you know band that is you know on a, uh, a like a higher level. They all seem to have their team, yeah team of right people. yeah. We we saw that as like the next step, you know, uh, in promoting our brand and just getting the name out there and it helped i mean for sure uh he got us into venues we probably would have never got into ourselves um so that was really nice um and uh, i mean he was like he wasn't you know it, it wasn't like too overbearing or anything like that he would just kind of send us potential dates that he had and and like you know like a route that he would plan and not that, and it wasn't always the best, you know. Sometimes there would just be, uh, like a one-off here and there. So we could try to plan like a string of like we were like weekend warriors for a while, just, just uh, doing these weekend gigs, like doing a string of Ohio gigs, Friday, Saturday, or Thursday, Friday, Saturday, come back Sunday, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, for you, I mean, yeah, I would, I would look into it. I would maybe even give you. I could even give you Irwin's number. Um. I mean, there's, 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 still, but there's like a lot of booking agencies out there. But you, yeah, I mean, now that especially you have the full band going, um, for like you know the last year or so, and you have a couple records cut with the full band, right? Um, yeah, it's. I think. I mean, like, if you want to start getting on the road more, I think it's the move. Yeah, um, it's kind of you know we would be, you know, we would be limited to just the weekend thing as well. Yeah, just right because everybody's got stuff going on. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, although until, you know, you got more popularity, um, at least for me, it feels like that probably work out better anyway to only play in cities on the weekends when people, yeah. cause like, yeah. if, if nobody knows who I am or who talk dinosaur is, and it's like a Tuesday or something like, Oh no, not worth it. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah, even some like, even some Thursdays or like a weekend show would be a bust. In I mean, it also depends what city you're in. Some cities just love live music, and will go out to see you, uh, no matter like what it is. Yeah. Any in particular uh, that you stand out to you, like cities nearby that you liked? Um, nearby, like maybe like a couple hours. Um, or, or anywhere, anywhere really. Anyway, yeah, uh, Virginia Beach actually was consistently the best. Really? Um, yeah, surprisingly, uh, we, there was this. There's this venue down there called Doc Taylor's, and that place only has music on Thursdays. So because of that, and it's free, there's no cover charge. Because of that, everyone knows to just go there on Thursdays because it's the thing to do. Yeah. Um, no matter like what 
type of no matter like what month it is really either it could be the summer it could be dead of winter you know i think we played like both we played like a july show one time when we played a december show one time and both were great like so many people showed up like i said it's free or cheap so people just go there and just have a good time you know throw a couple back and just just have a good time because there's because there's not a whole i guess there's not a whole lot to do um and uh, yeah, and they just and they just like live music, so they really dug us. So that's why we went back there a couple times. And that yeah, that place is awesome. Super hospitable guys, and um, they just they just have a good format for what they're doing um, because they're not. Um, it's it's funny. It's mostly just like a bar. It's not really a venue. There's no stage. We're just on the floor, but they still have like a good sound system like that. Yeah. So it's, uh, so it was like definitely worth it. Um, I think when it get, comes down to some of these venues that are like, you know, we're a venue kind of thing. Um, like, especially like the Rex, and they have like really high overhead costs and have to charge, um, at the door, you know, even if it's pretty cheap, those are the shows that, you know, especially if you're not very well known that people might not show up. I mean, we've definitely played the large rooms where, there was like 10 or 20 people <laughs> like yeah yeah sure so you know kind of rough in that sense but that's kind of just how you have to cut your teeth with some of those things uh but but like i said some cities just like show up yeah it, it's a crapshoot really Interesting. sometimes w- would you yeah. guys um was there anything in the way of like trying to promote in you know if you would book a show in some other city that might be your first or well, I guess anytime playing there, like Harrisburg or something like promoting a show, like how do you, I guess, were you guys ever involved in like promoting in a city um, outside like, of Pittsburgh? Like, yeah, things. I think, yeah, basically, you know, like uh, just doing online promoting, that kind of thing. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we definitely threw a bunch of money at um, Facebook ads at one point. Um, which like, I don't even really know if that helped or not. Sometimes yeah. maybe, um, you know, the thing we didn't take more advantage of was like local radio. And I uh. think that, I think that would have helped, but we didn't really think about that too much, nor did we really, I guess, research it too much. Okay. Like to a place you're about to be playing in. So like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Just getting on their local radio station, whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, that was kind of like an afterthought. But was would but might have been like the way to go. Uh, if we had like friends in town, they would maybe put some flyers up, something like that, try to promote it. The biggest thing is just getting with a ba- a local band that draws well. Yeah. That's like the, that's what we would always shoot for is whoever we're getting matched up with, even if we're a headliner and they're the support, that we would hope that that support act. Or if we're opening, you know, the headliner would have a good t- a good following to, you know, give us a nice leg up, you know, so we don't walk into the room and there's like 10 people, right? Yeah. Um, so that was like a big thing, making sure that the local act um, was pretty well established and not just pairing up with like, you know, a bi- especially later on, like not just pairing up with a band that like only plays house shows or something like that. Right. Um, some, some band that had a bit of a bit of draw, 
uh, to help us out. And then maybe the next time we went back, um, maybe we just play by ourselves or with a different band, but people who came out for that first band, uh, the last time, you know, knew, uh, now know us. So the, hopefully, you know, the hope is that they come back again. Yeah. Kind of thing. So that's something to think about is that each city you go to kind of seek out the local talent that is drawing pretty well and, uh, hooking up with them, which I, I mean, I think you've done that or I think I've seen you do that in other cities. How did that? Um, how did that Chicago gig go? Okay, yeah, that was like the only, <laughs> that was the only, the only one I could think of. That was good. That was that turned out really well. Um, uh, yeah, there was it was it was well attended, and um, good. Yeah, everything just went smooth, and uh, yeah, that was the first first u.s case of coronavirus was that weekend in chicago while we were there oh wow i remember really? seeing it on the news be like oh what's Jeez. that yeah um, oh man that um yeah it's just yeah that's wild i'm glad i uh did wasn't traveling or anything during that week yeah it, it would be yeah the, the the videos from the airports and stuff were were pretty uh scary just how jammed up they got oh right everyone trying to come back in yeah yeah jeez did you guys ever uh did you ever do these like weekend runs with other bands like uh, you know go with a band yeah we did um probably the best one of the best ones was was with uh the band goose which is like who are they're they're uh they've really blown up yeah um as of late played some pretty high profile festivals and seem to be selling out around the country now, yeah. uh, which is great. I'm really happy for them. Um, yeah. So we did, that was with, uh, when we had the booking agent, Irwin, he hooked us up with that. Um, and we did a three night run. I think like one was Philly, Rochester and, uh, uh Pittsburgh. I forget. Um, but that was solid. They uh they brought people out for sure. They weren't like huge at the time. I think it yeah. was probably the year after that we did that that they started blowing up. Mm-hmm. They opened for some like other big jam bandy bands that I forget the name of. Um probably like like Spafford maybe. Um Okay, yeah. And uh they uh so then they started getting some notoriety. Like I said they played like Peach Fest and you know, like the bigger festivals for sure. Yeah. So then they started blowing up because of that. Um, but that run was still pretty solid for, for all of us. Um, and we had a lot of fun and, and, you know, became good friends with them and I still chat with them occasionally. So. Yeah. That, that kind of seems like that's uh, something that a lot of bands I feel like end up doing at some point <laughs> they'll go, they'll do a run of shows at least for like a part of another band's tour and they'll, you know, support another band. And then a lot of times that, that kind of thing ends up, uh, turning into this, you know, them going as, as their, their own headliner tour kind of thing. Yeah. It's a, it's a boost, a little bump. If, if, if you can get it, um, yeah, that's what we were really, we were searching for that at a time too. Uh, never really came to be with like a, a really big act. Um, we opened for some 
bigger acts for sure. Uh, but it never really came to be like that. We got like that. They asked us to be on a tour or anything like that. Right. Or, um, yeah. like what helped goose a lot is they jumped on a lot of pigeons playing ping pong shows and, uh, that helped them. Uh, cause those guys just like sell out, which is insane. Um, so, you know, yeah, it's, it's definitely beneficial. You just kind of, it's all about who, you know, in the industry really just definitely helps. Yeah. A lot for sure. You know, your connections, um, you know, like you don't have to even be the greatest band in the world to, you know, as long as you pretty much know someone for sure. Yeah. They can seriously help bump you up. Uh, especially if you're trying to just tour a lot, which just seems like, you know, that's the thing with the, that scene is just touring and just making a living off live shows and uh, maybe even like streaming your live shows for money. If you get to that point, yeah. Uh, recording them, selling merch is huge. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, yeah. Cause like, I mean, not even many major recording artists are making money off their albums anymore, obviously, especially not in the jam scene, just like not a thing. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, they're just just torn a bunch, and now they can't, which really is unfortunate. What's funny is like I think the clock taking a break right now was like the best time <laughs> to do so. Yeah, so, but obviously we didn't plan that; it just kind of happened. So, um, so yeah, I mean, was, which is you know definitely a bummer. Like I, I miss playing gigs, um, even locally. I, I had a ton of local gigs lined up. I've been trying to uh, play with a bunch of other people. Um, one thing I noticed with just playing with, with the clock was, um, I got kind of stuck in a rut with my playing a little bit and I was only known as this guy who could just play in this jam band that was doing like decently well. Um, but I knew I could do other things. So, so now that's like what I've been trying to do since we like decided to take a break or, and even before that, like in like this, like all 2019 pretty much i was trying to kind of break out of that and do um you know just different projects and uh different sounds yeah with people uh and uh and i think that's like really the only way to really grow as a musician is just to play with everyone and just get a little bit of get a taste of of everything and then just put it into one and try to just like create your own sound that's really the the kind of ultimate goal of being a a player is to uh eventually just kind of cultivate your own sound and that really only comes from just trying to get your hands on as many musical opportunities as possible um so you know so i did a couple singer songwriter gigs um i mostly do jazz gigs uh, from, you know, just straight ahead swing to more modern stuff, uh, some funk gigs. Um, I even tried to get a country gig <laughs> at one time that didn't pan out yet, but it might, I yeah, don't know. Just trying uh, to get a bunch of different, different experiences. Yeah. Yeah. And just, you know, cause you never know open you up to to something new with your playing um but and that's so like gigs were like i learned the most 
I think you probably can attest to this. Gigs are probably where you learn the most about your playing. Cause you could like sit all day and just fiddle with stuff and, and shed and, you know, get faster at what you're doing or, or, you know, learn more lines or whatever. Um, but it's not until you like apply it in a live setting, uh, that, you know, I just love that uh, spontaneous stuff that comes. We started recording our live shows too. Cause some, some live stuff would be like really killing. Yeah. Um, and at first I never really liked to listen to myself back. Uh, I do more just to like pick up on that stuff that I might not be practicing. And then like, you kind of listen for that stuff and critique yourself. And maybe if I like this lick that I threw out, like I'll, I'll flesh that out and practice. Yeah. That kind of thing. That's been a huge, yeah, it's been a huge thing for, for us too. just like recording, um, yeah, shows and also uh, just like jam sessions or practices or something because you just hear it in a way that you can't hear it when you're playing it. Or, you know, it's, it's like, a, yeah. especially like if you're going into a, a jam or like some kind of improvisation, most of the time I don't even remember anything about, I, mean, I, rem- I might remember a couple moments of what happened during it, but we might have gotten into something really cool and, I, and none of us would remember like what it was because like exactly it's just yeah kind of moving right and I, I like that spontaneity a lot for sure um but then if you right but then if you record it and then go back to it you might be able to even like work a new song out of it or, yeah, or something for like sure. that or yeah plenty of ideas that yeah would just be completely just lost maybe not lost like they might come back out later you know mm-hmm. um they might still be up there but definitely been a lot of times where yeah listening back to something like an improv session or something is almost like hearing it for the first time yeah yeah exactly you know something something fresh uh what have you been doing um are you recording any new projects while you're quarantined or are you just like fleshing out old ones or mixing stuff i don't know yeah i've just been yeah i've been um doing a couple things for uh, like work, work, which is, uh, the oh yeah background music stuff. Um, excuse me. But aside from that, yeah, we've been doing, we've been putting some stuff together. It's not at all like what we were kind of working on when we were all able to get together. Like it's a little different. Yeah. Um, we kind of just been messing around. Just like we were, we were upstairs last night. Just me, Nick, and Andrew who live here, and um. Yeah, just started like making a recording. Um, we'd just jam a little bit, and then kind of once we got something that we thought was cool, we kind of capture like a loop of that, and then just kind of build off that. So it's kind of a different. It feels different than whenever we're in a practice room with John playing full volume and like playing in the way we would normally be playing at a show. I guess like yeah. our yeah. instruments and stuff. Because here we've got like modified drum setup and like everything's different than how we play so it's more of like yeah we've just been kind of recording random ideas okay um yeah working on just like trying to get better at producing different kinds of electronic music and and uh but yeah not really 
Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's cool. We're thinking about they want to do like full band album. Uh, we, I mean, we're going to have to wait to do it because we wanted to kind of get four, like four songs and um, try and do as much live as we could, like maybe do all the rhythm section live and then maybe save the, uh, like go to a studio and do it, which is, would be different because usually we're, we're doing it at home or, you know, right. Right. Wherever our practice area is. Yeah. So that'll be different trying to try and get the songs down to the point of like, um, you know, as if you had played a song a bunch at, a sh- at shows, how it kind of tightens up and yeah, kind of, uh, gets dialed in try to get it to that point first and then record it uh yeah we get- ha- that's funny you mentioned that because the last record we released um nomen we like had it almost done like 90 percent done uh but most of those recordings we took uh like a year past almost and we had like played those songs out a bunch so they got tighter yeah, uh, because we pretty much like wrote songs for the studio and went in and played them. But uh, and they were good, but they weren't like, gr- well, basically, they didn't sound like when we went back and listened to them, they didn't sound like us like nine months later. Um, So we had to go back and like re-record like almost <laughs> ev- like everything. Oh, not everything, but we recorded like six or seven songs off that album uh to then fit like what we had done because we then we slightly arranged things a little differently and just like things were tighter in general Mm -hmm. so so yeah that's like that's definitely my mindset too now when if you're going to record an album is try to play those tunes as much as you can um you know either in a live setting or rehearsal and flesh them out as much as you can before you record them uh, to just get the most like updated sound as as possible, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a definitely, I guess, a balance for where the right point is to to record them. I guess, but there's definitely like, I feel like we there's definitely a point where it feels like a song down. Well, um. Yeah, we have like one song right now that's at that point, <laughs> and the other three that we're thinking about are like they're kind of structured out and stuff, but we haven't played them much. And yeah, it's kind of um, yeah, takes time. Yeah, and it's it's definitely a different approach because uh, usually we're doing recording like as we're writing, uh, since we're like home recording, and it's usually like layering and kind of doing it that way which is so and it sounds a lot different like you were saying um how the first time you recorded the songs for Noman, uh it like didn't even sound the same as when when you guys had been playing break rather than give you what we were doing like nine months before that like it was you know we recorded most of it let's say in the end of 2018 and then we went back to it middle of 2019, maybe like, yeah, like in the fall of 2019. And we're like, you know, yeah, we're just like, hey, you know what? Mm, I think uh, needs a little update here. Yeah. 
So, so we did it and, you know, for the better, for sure. Yeah. Um, just, just, and, just happens that way sometimes. And you guys recorded that at the Carnegie Mellon recording studio. Yeah. Yeah. We actually recorded all our albums there. Yeah. Um, what was that like? Or like, how, how did, how did that get, uh, arranged? Um, so like from the beginning, um, well, I'm trying to think who our original contact there was. Oh, well, I think it was because I helped someone with their recording project that was at CMU or no, no, it was at Pitt, but the person recording at the time was also the head engineer at CMU. His name's Ricardo Schultz. Yeah. And he's like the best person in the world. So he, um, well, so I found out through him and, oh, you know what? Going back to Bergman. Shane and Bergman recorded at CMU and I asked them about it and he said, you got to talk to Ricardo. And then it just so happened like a month later, I met Ricardo in this recording session I did um, with like a music technology class. Cause I was still at Pitt. Yeah. And um, cause I helped my, fr- I like laid down a drum track with my friend Sean and met Ricardo. So then I mentioned to him, I'm like, Hey, I have a band. Like we're trying to record like our first EP. This is like going back to the first EP in like 2015 or something like that. And he said, yeah. So he was, you know, he helped us out. But what what you had to do though, is you, it had to be like through a student. Uh, it had to be like a student's project basically. So like the first EP, like we had like a bunch of like undergrads with us, like hooking stuff up and mm-hmm. getting the mics ready and, uh, and even recording us like in, you know, in pro tools and all that stuff. Um, so, uh, so that was like the trade off was, uh, tracking was free. So that's why we kept doing it also. Cause tracking was free. Um, but you had to sign off basically saying that this is going to be part of a student's portfolio at one point because they're doing it for school credit. And, um, but, but like I said, you get free studio time. So we're like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Uh, so, so we did that for the first, for the first album, and then we dug it. So we just kept doing it. Um, but what was nice is by the second, by the our like, uh, by the second album, uh, the Inner Peaks one, we teamed up with a grad student who was like trying to do it for like his project, and so he's he was more honed in with the studio, mm-hmm. and we like really trusted his work. His name's Mike, and yeah, that's um, good. That was a good sounding album. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All oh, right, yeah, you mastered that one. <laughs> um, so we he uh, he honed in on you know what we wanted to do and was really good about it and had some undergraduate work, but he was the one recording and mixing. So that was nice because we trusted him a little more yeah. rather than just like a bunch of hands on it. You know, yeah. like like the first one kind of like was um, was Noman also Michael? Yeah, yeah, he tracked it sort of. He had already graduated, but still had access to the studio. So what he did is he set everything up for us and then supervised other students track us. So he was there for some sessions, but not all of them. Mm -hmm. Um, We mostly, we gave it to a couple other students who helped us out and then, but they were under like his tutelage. So we trusted them too. Uh, So yeah, so everything pretty much turned out fine. And then he mixed it. Uh, and then Berger's brother, Justin record, uh, mastered it, uh, cause he works at Sears sound in New York city. So he has like, he had some like pretty legit, 
uh, studio equipment to master it with and plugins and all that fun stuff. So that was cool. Yeah, that was a uh, really good sounding album. Um, and really, I mean, really good compositions too. Um, Thanks. Probably, probably like, probably my favorite. Yeah, most kind of thematic sound, I guess. Like a uh, very cohesive, uh-huh. like... Um, yeah, I don't know how I would describe the sound, but it was it it definitely all went together really well. I think it was like the sound that we were like finally searching for, kind of thing. Um, after like four or five years of playing and going through a lot of different um, collective thought processes, you know that that kind of brought us there, uh, and, and also like outside influences. I think that was like finally because because about halfway through being a band we were kind of like we didn't want to subscribe to uh what the jam sound is because there's like a sound there that yeah. everyone goes for yeah um and we were definitely guilty of like jumping on that bandwagon for a little while but then we're like we don't really like this you know it's just not us really it's like what gets people going in the crowd um and like i get that um but we didn't want to subscribe to that we wanted to try to do something that was like true to ourselves and try to push that because mm-hmm. i think i think if you um if you subscribe to one to one thing and just just keep at it like eventually people will catch on you know especially res- yeah especially if it's you know your identity i guess yeah right exactly we were trying to establish an identity that was different from other bands and we still had like a couple you know things about us here and there we're still kind of in that uh framework you know like i said the the jam band framework um but we like but i'd say like 99 percent of what we were doing was trying to break out of that um, and still retain a fan base. And I think the people who still came out for us, like, were like, like really into it. Yeah. Uh, Cause they knew that we were doing something different. Yeah. Definitely uh, something different. Yeah. Especially, especially like the last like two to three years. Uh, and then especially with this last album, when I listened to back to it, I'm just like, yeah, this is like truly what we were like trying to convey yeah feels like Uh, you yeah because if you listen to like the ep or even inner peaks before that it's this this one's like just so much different yeah uh in a a good way for sure like we grew a a lot and learned a lot um and i'm and i'm definitely happy for that but now this is like um it's like a much needed break i think that we're taking now uh, and who knows, like we might come back and do some more stuff. Bane's not dead. It's just like, you know, just taking a break. People wanted to travel. People wanted to do new things. I wanted to, you know, do some new things, which I didn't realize at first. Um, but, uh, but I definitely like, you know, it's like kind of like a blessing in disguise kind of thing. Like I said, yeah. to just like open it's my playing up with different people and, and find new sounds and new techniques and, um, yeah, just just you know, a new way of thinking. Yeah, just to explore a bit, and I guess, like you said before, um, yeah, now everybody is is taking this break too. So, <laughs> yeah, so now the world's on break. So right. this kind of leads me to another thing where, um, yeah, this whole world on break thing 
is basically pushing people to just reprioritize, you know, uh, if you think about it and what, what's going to be interesting is when we come out of this, um, there's not going to be like back to normal. That's just not going to be a thing anymore. It's going to be a new normal, right? There's still going to be shows and there's still going to be, um, you know, going out to dinner and, and all that kind of stuff, but it's going to be different. You know, it's not going to be the same. Um, and I'm kind of looking forward to that. I'm optimistic that people will kind of put this in, into a new framework for themselves. Um, it's kind of like getting a software update on your computer or something like that. You know, we're literally infected with a virus (laughs) right now, you know? So like your computer has a virus right now, the world has a virus. Um, you need to update your software or let it crash completely to, to get rid of the virus. Right. So, you know, I kind of been thinking about this as like a software update where, um, your computer is still going to remain the same. Like you're pretty much going to remain the same. Uh, but at the same time, when you come out of it, when you, when we're finished updating, um, there's going to be, there's going to be some new features, you know, there's going to be a new platform to work with, even though on the outside, like it might all look the same, you know, except like I might be growing my hair a little longer or something like that. (laughs) Um, but there's going to be, yeah, I think people are like reprioritizing and thinking, you know, kind of going back to basics. I mean, I, I feel like I have been at least kind of going back to basics. For sure. Um, like fundamentals, again, like I mentioned before, fundamentals are like really important uh, t- to me, to my practicing, especially. Um, and I and I hope everyone does that. I haven't really been feeling like uh, there's so many people being like, uh, you know, like I'm freaking out. Like, you know, I'm, I can't believe I'm just like stuck inside. I don't know what to do. I'm just like staring out the window all day. And I'm like, do you not have like a hobby or anything? Like, I know like I'm fortunate and we're fortunate to have like music and, and we play and, and that takes up like a good amount of like what I've been doing the last month yeah, or two. I can, that can consume all of your time <laughs> for sure. And they're like, you know, we're fortunate to have that, but like, I think, um, I think this is, this is a good thing. I mean, as terrible as the things that are happening and the thousands of people dying and, you know, all this, you know, this public health crisis, like it's there. I, I sincerely think there's a silver lining in this where people will come out because it's like, cause we haven't had a collective human experience like this in, in this our generation or, or really anyone's generation, unless you live through the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic, like no one's been through a collective experience like this. So I'm hoping that when people, when we come out of this, that, um, there will be like a bigger sense of community. Yeah. Um, togetherness, that kind of thing. Um, and just kind of, just, just kind of, not taking some things for granted, like stuff like food at the grocery store, right. uh, you know, just like, like paper towels and toilet paper, like being there, like all the time. Yeah. Um, like we've only known that stuff for, I don't know, like a hundred years, like, you know, since the, uh, maybe a little more since like the industrial revolution or something like that of just like always having whatever you want, whenever you want it. Yeah. Pretty much like within arm's reach and, and stuff like that. Uh, we like seriously took that for granted and I was taking that for granted too. You know, I remember like when this first hit, I went to like target, um, wasn't even really thinking about the virus yet. 
I was just going to Target to get like a like a water filter for my like Brita or something. Yeah. Um and it was like just when like people were starting to like bulk buy and panic buy and stuff like that. And when I saw like no toilet paper on the shelves and like no over the counter medicine and and you know no uh wipes and whatever, I like got this anxiety that like I don't really get anxiety like I, I don't really have that kind of problem fortunately but I but like it hit me like so hard like just like what is going on yeah uh, it's just a really freaky something I I never saw either just like yeah uh, yeah I remember the first time I saw it all the hand sanitizer gone it was like at the very beginning but uh I was uh yeah I just have never seen that yeah it's 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 a super odd thing to to encounter yeah uh because you just right because you just expect it to be there right. and i'm not and i'm sure the store wasn't like completely like out of it they just weren't putting more on the shelves but you look in that and you're like what like what's gonna happen next you know kind of thing yeah like at a drugstore it's just like yeah you're you're expecting there to be that stuff there yeah but yeah i think you're right definitely people are going to everybody is going to have a di much different perspective after this just from um yeah having to live uh so much differently for for this and yeah definitely just being able to even socialize people will probably appreciate more yeah it's a big wake-up call uh i think people are realizing too that uh with some of the jobs that they're doing that a lot of it can be done like from home yeah. You know, that, that kind of thing too. I'm really hoping a lot of people who were stuck in, uh, you know, dead end nine to fives, like I was, um, last year and then got out of it, like, you know, pre pandemic. Um, I'm hoping those people kind of wake up and realize that they can, uh, you know, start their side hustle that they've been trying to start, whether it's just like selling something or, uh, maybe creating an album like, like right now I'm, um, I mean, I don't know if this is like a true side hustle or anything, but I'm like trying to put together a record of mostly kind of beat tape kind of stuff. I've been listening to a lot of hip hop records actually recently. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I've been trying to like collab with some people and do, um, kind of some, some short recordings, um, that are mostly, like I said, kind of like beat tape kind of stuff where i'm like playing live drums but there's like a bunch of layers to it and what i found really interesting too is like i listen to a bunch of records at home and sometimes my records i've just been fortunate that sometimes these records like skip in a perfect loop <laughs> <laughs> um and so i recorded some of them doing this endless loop and kind of found the bpm and lined it up and uh and then played over it and so now I have like these, some of these songs I've been creating have these record samples. Um, and then like, I just try to create a song like over that kind oh, of thing. That's sweet. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'll send you some of it. It's, it's a very in like it's infantile stages right now. Yeah. Nothing's, nothing's mixed or anything really. Um, so but like experimenting a lot more with just like recording stuff at home yeah yeah i've done some home recordings i don't have good mics unfortunately like i record sometimes with just this 58 which i know is like sacrilege but yeah. um <laughs> I mean, but i mean sometimes it gets the job done like it definitely gets uh, the job done i go to my rehearsal space sometimes which is about like 10 minutes away and 
uh, shack up there a little bit, which is nice because it's like pretty much isolated, and I just like bring the garage door down. You know, you've been there. Yeah. Um, and do it there sometimes, and record drums. And I have like a MIDI keyboard here that I can just plug in. I got a bass guitar here. You know. Um. Can, so yeah. Can that? It, can your interface have? Uh, can you plug two mics in? Yeah, I have a four-channel interface right here. Because I was gonna say like. Even if you just mic the kick and then just have an overhead, that that's like enough to make like a Yeah. I mean no, that that's what I did, yeah. Okay. Cause like mm-hmm. Yeah, if you can just get the thump and the, mm-hmm. the overhead can you can do a lot with just that for sure. Yeah, no, definitely. Um I think I've I've been looking into getting these like omnidirectional mics, like large diaphragm room mics that would pick up uh that sound pretty well. Uh, because with the 58s and like stuff like that, you can't, it's hard to manipulate when you're trying to mix. Um, cause I have tried to mix some of them and there's just a lot of bleeding obviously. And it's hard to get, um, like, like, like kind of like you said, uh, a good thumb from the bass drum or something like that. Um, when you're trying to like mix the highs out of it or something like that. Yeah. Uh, it's a little h- tough to manipulate. So I've been looking into getting, other mics but at the same time i'm like not making much money right now so like i don't want to blow a bunch of money on mics yeah um so you know like i said like going back to priorities like do i really need this kind of stuff yeah you know kind of like make do with what i have because it doesn't sound bad but it could sound better i mean if you that's like uh i always think about the wolfpack drum recording setups that they have in their videos they're super minimal and uh Mm -hmm. It's like, um, I noticed they hardly ever use cymbals and I wonder if that's just <laughs> like, yeah, they're, they're pretty minimalist, like just like kick snare, hi-hat, yeah. maybe a ride cymbal, that and kind I, of thing. I think one of their other projects, that was like a kick mic and then they had one, one mic like over the, over the snare that was also, you know, picking up the hi-hat and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy how much you can get done with just two mics. Yeah. Um, you don't need an eight channel or 16 channel interface and like mic up like everything. It's just, yeah. you know, like top bottom snare. Like that's what we had at like CMU, like recording with. Yeah. Um, can get hot when you have kick, front, yeah. kick back, top snare, bottom snare. Yeah. Like I had two kick mics, like when we were recording Nomen, like, which was cool. Cause we were able to matrix them and get like a really nice defined kick sound. Um, and, but, you know, I, but that was like a, the CMU has a bunch of money and state of the art equipment. So, you know, you use it if you have it, but if you don't, yeah. uh, you know, if you're just trying to do a home studio thing, then don't yeah, like hold two, you back. yeah, two mics is totally fine. So, so yeah, I've been trying to put together some tracks. Um, it's probably going to work on it probably when we leave here and, uh, and just and also sending it out to people and be like, hey, you know, like what can you throw over this? Yeah, the Stevie um, Polito drum drum loop pack. Yeah, ba- I actually thought about that too, um, but I haven't done too much with that. But but yeah, so like I sent send it out to Dante, get some of his stuff on there, like his weird ambient stuff. Nice. And my buddy my buddy Brad, who I play with, he's a trumpet player. Uh, he sent back some cool stuff. Yeah, just trying to collab and just like make something new, like something that I've never tried before. And that was the kind of point of like, um, you know, being here, like especially just alone, like I'm just in my apartment alone, uh, like, you know, 24-7 mostly, unless I go outside and take a walk, whatever. Um, You know, it's just like I have to do something. 
yeah. can't just can't just watch reruns of the Chappelle show all day or something <laughs> yeah. like that. Right. Which I have been. Right. But you can only uh, do that for yeah. so long. Yeah, exactly. So so that's what that's what I would that's the advice I'd give to people who are like, I'm so bored, like just staring out the window. It's just like, well, just be get creative and try to find something else to do. Just get off your ass and try to just like just find something to do. Um that's even if a it's a really good time, yeah. Yeah, it's the it's the best time. It's 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 a time that you're never probably gonna have again. That's true. Uh, yeah. Possibly in your life to just like really like look inside and like I said, reprioritize, you know, kind of like up to, like I said, like update your system, do just like do something new. And I know like not everyone's going to have the mental capacity to do that. Like I get that you, and not every day is going to be like, you're going to be on, on what you're doing. Um, yeah. And, sure. and I recognize that, you know, it's, it's, it's to just be at home all day and kind of like not have or not see a purpose to what you're doing kind of thing. Um, so like, I get that. Like I have days, like, like a couple days ago, like I didn't want to do anything and I really didn't do anything. Like I woke up at like 1 PM and then just kind of sloth around the house and like went outside and like, I don't even think I played drums that day, you know? Uh, but most days like I'm playing, um, trying to record a little bit, um, cooking, reading, um, just trying to, yeah, just trying to keep the mono, mind occupied, exercising, uh, trying to build some immunity up, taking cold showers, oh. do, doing that breathing exercise we do. Yeah. Um, yeah, just, yeah, just like I said, just trying to, um, yeah, just, you got to just try new things. Yeah. Like I said, like, this is really the only time in your life that you're going to have this extended I mean, I'm not thinking of it as a vacation. It's not a vacation. It's like a it's like a rest period. Um like a re it's like a reevaluation period. It's not a it's definitely not a it's not a, like a vacation at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's definitely a yeah, a really great time to learn something or yeah, if you can find something that's like exciting or interesting for you to to learn, mm -hmm. then you're golden. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I heard that even like a uh, few universities are have put courses out online for free. Oh, wow. uh, if you were ever interested in like doing something that they're offering, yeah. you know, something something like that. Um, yeah, just you know, if you had a piano in your house, like sitting collecting dust, like pop that thing open, and maybe start just plucking around and try to yeah. play. You know, something like that. Um, yeah, I think I'm like right. I got. Hmm? Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I think I've been thinking about. Uh, trying to learn how to use Ableton, trying to switch to Ableton during this time because I I use Logic and uh, Ableton. I've been, like, wanting to switch to it, but I've never taken the time to really get comfortable with it. So I, anytime I try and use it, I end up just, like, going back to the program that I know. But um, Right, right. Yeah, it's definitely a good opportunity to, to do stuff like that, I guess, that you might have been putting off. But, uh, yeah, yeah. Like, like I, for putting off, um, trying to, um, like record basically it's just yeah. ideas that I had. So now I'm just like, yeah, I'm definitely going to do that now. Um, and also just, just get better at, at, at just playing, just, just shedding a yeah. lot, uh, listening sometimes, um, 
<coughs> excuse me, just uh, like in the morning. Um, and cause for some reason, like I would always play music like in the morning and just, and just listen. Uh, but now like, just like really listening and analyzing, um, like putting the phone somewhere else, just sitting down, listening to a record, both sides, having a cup of coffee and just, and just, and just sitting and just, and just listening. Like I, like I'm just sitting here now yeah. basically, uh, with no extra stimulus, not even reading, just, just, just just taking in like the music um thinking about either like the production or the playing or or yeah. or, or, or whatever um i never really i mean I've, I've definitely done that but haven't done it in a long time so it's it's kind of a nice thing to do same uh, yeah it's it's, re- it's refreshing makes a big difference you know between that and and passive listening where i'm, I'm doing something else yeah i was doing a lot of passive listening um she's still at home still get something out of that but it's definitely yeah. different when you're allowing yourself to kind of get absorbed exactly and I, and i try to do it i try to listen um to like i said mostly records that i have because those aren't in any digital format so i don't need my computer or anything and getting distracted by that uh or or maybe i'll put my phone on the speakers so it's over there and i'm here yeah um kind of thing and just trying to absorb that way. Um, yeah, you just you just think differently. It's it's nice not to because for some reason I was always in the uh, mindset like you know pre pre Corona that I would have to like even if I was listening to music like I felt like I should I should be doing something as well, mm-hmm. uh, either cleaning or um, uh, I don't know like just just doing like just uh life stuff you know like taxes or i don't know something yeah. stupid uh but no you don't you don't really need to and now that you have the time to do that just put on your favorite record just sit down and you know get a like i said get like a cup of coffee or something and and like a good record and just hang for yeah. as long as the record is i used to do that more uh that's that's something yeah that i, I want to do more of too yeah it's very cathartic. <laughs> For sure. What uh speaking of records, what have like you been listening to? I think uh the last record that I one of the last ones that stuck with me was uh Breezin. By uh, ben- Benson? Yeah. Nice. Which I hadn't really listened to that that much. Like I just uh, recently got like the record and was able to listen to the whole thing. Um, That's a good one. Yeah, side B. I really like side B on that one, or side two, or whatever. Yeah. And then, yeah. Uh, other than that, I've been listening to some uh, like DJ mixes and stuff. Like uh, I don't even know what genre it is. Like tech house or something. <laughs> I, I've uh, been trying to like figure out how to produce that kind of music better, and um, I don't know what records. What's that? Oh God, we were listening to a good one yesterday. Immortal Orchestra or something. Have you heard of that? Immortal Orchestra kind of sounds familiar. Is it I new? I have no idea. Nick put it on, and uh. uh. 
That was pretty sweet. Yeah, I don't know. Um, sounds familiar. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the breeze. So Breezen, I don't know if you knew this, but Breezen is actually uh, a cover. Um, the original a composer of Breezen was a guitarist named Gabor Zabo. You ever heard of him? No. Yeah, check him out. Um, if you just Google Gabor Zabo, uh, his last name is S Z A B O. Yeah. S Z A B O Gabor Zabo. I think he's like Hungarian or something, like some kind of Eastern European. Um, he very underrated player. Really cool. He's got like this interesting, like almost gypsy guitar kind of style. Um, and influenced a lot of guitar players. Um, like especially like uh, Santana credits him a lot as like one of his influences, especially like his early stuff. Uh, yeah, Benson, uh, covered that and made it popular, but it was really Gabor's, uh, composition. It's crazy uh, how many people covered other people's songs back in the, you know, sixties, sixties, mm-hmm. like everybody was playing everybody else's songs. It was like a much more common thing. I feel like. Yeah. Probably because the rights to get the songs like weren't as expensive or something. And, um, yeah, there was just like a lot of versions. I mean, especially when it comes to like jazz standards, there's so many versions of like this one like jazz standard. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I guess that's why they're called standards now. Uh, but but yeah, yeah, that is that is a uh, pretty interesting that people would would do that. And then well, well, what's funny is like you know with with Benson, like you thought that was his song, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so <laughs> that, there's I so mean, and like, there's so many that I'm still finding out today. It's just like, wait, what? They didn't. Yeah. Like. They didn't actually write that? Yeah, it really, it blew my mind when I kind of uh, learned that about, like, every Motown hit, you know, most of them were written by just, like, a handful of the same writers, regardless yeah. of, like, which band was the one recording it. Yeah. Uh, or just how many, like, popular songs were, you know, the songwriter was not the performer i guess like they were two separate things that kind of worked together but right it was kind of like the record label hired this team of songwriters um that would like bust out all these hits and then they would give it to the the performer to sing yeah um pretty much yeah like uh do you know carol king do you listen to her at all Mm -mm. she's great and she um she has a bunch of hits just on her own, but she also wrote a bunch of uh, like Motown hits, like you were talking about. Like she she wrote like the locomotive, you know that song. You're like do the locomotion. Oh, the locomotion. Excuse me. Sounds familiar, but uh, yeah, if you if you look it up, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Okay. But she like wrote that one, and then um, and then she went on and had like her own solo career, and um, you know the song you got a friend that is like pretty often covered by james taylor okay yeah i thought i thought that was his <laughs> yeah no it's a carol king song and i mean yeah exactly this is exactly what i'm talking about yeah. so he made he mostly made it popular uh but her uh, him and carol king were like really good friends so he ended up covering it and like blew it up more so than she ever did. although that album that that was on uh she ended up winning like album of the year for that one uh and like record of the year yeah, check out Carol King. Uh, the a- album I'm talking about is called Tapestry. That one is like one of my top five 
super um i would say like raw albums that uh you don't really hear too much like just just like extremely good songwriting uh really focused emotional songwriting coming from this album called tapestry uh it was like made in 71 i think but like i said before that she cut her teeth doing uh all these other songs uh that later became like some motown hits and uh, i'd have to pull up a list of like some of the stuff but it's crazy how much she um contributed to to like the the music scene before even she became like a solo artist interesting yeah i'll check that out yeah kind of want to look up what she what she wrote before even before tapestry yeah that's not, that album's great man definitely give that a give that a spin what have you been, been look- listening to recently um so i go back to that album a lot really like that one um and uh like i said um hip-hop stuff um let's see what's on my phone i can i always i mean i have such a hard time answering that question i always suck at that question (laughs) like i i need to look too uh i've been i mean and i have been for a while but i'm super into erica badu um there's this one album that i always go back to just called erica badu live or Baduism Live, and uh, I've been listening to that album since high, uh, since like probably early college or high school. And um, funny enough, uh, the great Poogie Bell is the drummer on that album. Oh, interesting. And, and he was, uh, yeah, he was one of like Erica's first um, drum hires, like when she was like starting to tour with a live band. Uh huh. And that, yeah, that album like taught me how to groove, man. He's he's in, he's amazing. Erica Badu. Uh yeah, it's like live ninety seven, nineteen ninety seven I think. Um, That's a long time ago. Yeah, it was a while ago. Uh, what else? Uh, so going along with hip hop, listening to like Jay Dilla. Do you know him? I know the name, but I've never like explored his his music. He was the one that like basically made beat tapes popular, and um, you know all the guys now that basically. Uh, had that like a Kai um, sampler. Yeah. Yeah. Like he made that like really popular and is like hailed as like one of the best like hip hop producers of all time. Yeah. I definitely. And just, yeah. He would like take record samples and splice them up and, and make beats out of them and, and program beats and like stuff like that. So his beat tapes are really cool. Um, this one, the one album I'm listening to right now is called The Shining. Uh, the classic one he's really known for is called Donuts. Oh, nice. Um, what else? Oh, uh, some, oh, this really cool Stan Getz record called Focus. Stan Getz is a saxophone, jazz saxophonist. And the album's called Focus where he plays with, with strings. He's got like, uh, string arrangements behind him. It's been really cool. I've been trying to dip into a little more classical music too. I've only listened to the... Uh, the one he did with uh, Getz and Gilberto, that one. Oh, Get, like, Getz Joe Beam. Yeah, that's a classic. Love that one. Still go back to that one, too. Uh, you know, Anomaly, I've been really liking his music recently. 
I think I've heard of that guy. He's like a Canadian. It's like a electro jazz. He's crazy keyboard player. Huh. At uh, yeah, really like his stuff. You nice. I'll check him out. Um. Oh, um, Betty Davis, the uh, ex-wife of Miles Davis in the seventies, uh, also had her own uh, record career. And she put out a really good record. It's just straight funk. Like reminds me of like Sly and the Family Stone a little bit. Um, called They Say I'm Different. That album's really good. Nice. Really cool record there. That's kind of what inspired Miles Davis to go on and do um, more like what his 70s sound ended up being, which was more uh, funky and uh, kind of like quote unquote jammy. They were just, you know, improvised for, for a while. You yeah. Know? basically that's, a, that's a, someone i haven't really listened to much of when you listen to miles's uh 70s and late 60s uh electric bands because he you know basically brought everything from like acoustic bebop stuff to uh electric um playing you know because he, he even started putting effects on his trumpet and uh brought in like guitars and 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 all that stuff electric guitars and all that stuff and that's when like the the roads came out so like he had that um that those albums like inspired the um what we now know as the jam scene well like the early you know like they inspired like they even inspired like the grateful dead and 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 fish and you know two two big ones right there um and and other bands like uh like aquarium rescue unit um, if you've ever heard of them, uh, so the, he had a big, yeah. Like when you hear that stuff, you're like, oh yeah, this is kind of like the beginnings of, um, well, I mean, it's the beginnings of like hip hop. It's the beginnings of like, kind of like jam. Um, yeah. Oh, man. More, I got he that, really set the framework for a lot of stuff. I got that feeling when I listened to this album called, uh, sun goddess by Ram- yeah, Ramsey Lewis. Yeah. Yeah. I remember hearing that and like uh headhunters um mm-hmm. just being like, Whoa, this sounds I can like hear the influence in modern bands. Right. Yeah. Or like it's, the, uh, roots, the roots of it. Yes, for sure. Um yeah, Herbie. I've been listening to a bunch of Herbie Hancock too. He's uh got he's so much stuff. Yeah, he's very he's pretty but one album I do uh, on repeat is called Mr. Hands. Uh, 1980, Mr. Hands. I'll have to check that, that out. That one's pretty tight. Um, jo- uh, Jocko Pastorius is on is on one of those tracks. Not the whole album, but that's a good one. Um, that yeah, Herbie laid down a lot of foundation for uh, what we know as hip hop in the 90s, especially. He laid down a lot of that, not unwillingly. You know, people just kind of they sampled him. You know, that's like what happened. Yeah. Um, and, and, and other, a lot of other jazz records. It's pretty crazy. The connection there. Jazz and, and hip hop. They're, you, they're, uh, very much related. I mean, in his, yeah, definitely like, uh, watermelon man. Like when the beat drops in and that <laughs> just like, um, that feel was very hip hop to me. Yeah, sure. Definitely. Yeah. And that just came from, you know, um, I don't, I don't really know exactly where their inspiration came from, but yeah. you know, probably like a lot of people credit Sly and the Family Stone. 
as like one of the first funk bands it's out no, there. Another one I never, never dug into. Not like I don't mean dug is in like just like never uh, listened to a lot. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, I know what you mean. Like I'm not familiar with their catalog. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. It's a lot of bands. It's a lot out there. Yeah. <laughs> so let me ask you one more question. Yeah. Before we uh, wrap it up here. Just curious, what is what is your I don't know, when you think about what your your future uh, with music, like how do you see how do you see that playing out ideally or like what's your kind of is there any particular path you're looking to take uh as a musician Mm -hmm. in terms of you know i guess i don't know there's a couple different you know performing like you know performing with a band full-time or studio stuff or teacher uh yeah that's a good question um i mean at first it was i thought i would be with a band for like this single band being the clock, you know, forever. And we would just keep touring and touring until we wanted to call it quits or something like that. Uh, but now, like, since we take a break and, you know, I've kind of reevaluated, um, I kind of want to, you know, in a way, and I know this sounds kind of dumb, but just like go with the flow in a way. And, um, kind of like how I mentioned before, just try to dip my hand into a little bit of everything. Yeah. Um, and cause like I said, I think that's the only way to really diversify your sound and, and to get like a full, like uh, complete musical knowledge um, and education is to really just try a little bit of everything, you know, cause you're not going to like it unless you try it or, you know, you don't even know if you're going to like it unless you try it, you know, kind of yeah. thing. Um, so yeah, I mean, if I, um, I don't know if studio work is the thing that, that calls me, like if someone wants me to record with them, like, sure, I'll do it. But like, I can't, I don't know if I see myself being that on call studio guy all the time. I mean, that could change, you know, I don't know. Um, like I said, it's kind of really depending on like who I might meet in the future. Um, at the moment, I kind of see myself just uh, as a sideman for a lot of for a lot of projects. Like I do have like a trio that I, you know, have under my name, but it's mostly just to play local gigs around Pittsburgh and to like I'm not really writing any original music for that. Um, I have like a couple ideas in mind, but they haven't really been flushed out uh, for the trio yet. Um, so, so yeah, I think just trying to get my, just trying to broaden my musical horizons by like playing with everyone, um, who would want to have me. Um, and if I, by chance, you know, hook up with another band that like really takes off then stick with that for a while, uh, you know, kind of maybe like ride that wave. I think I'm just kind of like taking it as it comes like one day at a time, kind of with this pandemic, like just taking it one day at a time, like not getting yeah lost in all the information that's out there, that kind of thing. Um, I think when like a wave comes, like you should definitely ride it. 
and see what happens. Um, but at the same time, you know, kind of just have like an eye open for what else is also out there. Um, so, so yeah, I'm not like pigeonholing myself into one thing. Um, I think I'm capable of doing a lot of different things. Um, like I remember I was, I, the last Wilkins block party I played, I forget if you were there, but we did that people's orchestra thing with, with Benny Rossman, like from starship. And I don't remember, uh, I don't remember seeing that Wait, it was people's orchestra. Yeah. It was I, called the people's orchestra. I, I did play one block party and you, the clock reads and starship were both there, but I don't remember the people's orchestra this year, that year, the clock wasn't on it. Okay. So I, I wasn't there then. Oh, okay. Yeah, so we did we did a, a like a super group thing. It was like Benny and Chris from Starship and and me on drums and uh, then we brought like special guests up from other bands that had either already played or didn't play or whatever, and we like featured them. Uh, and we had some like horn players and stuff like that. And that music was all over the map. Like at one point, like I would at one point we were doing like a disco tune, and then we went and did like an R and B tune. And then we did like, and then I played a trap, like rap tune. Like <laughs> we, we brought like a rapper up. And that was the first time I had ever done like trap music in, in a way. Yeah. And, and backed up a rapper. So that was like really cool. And then when like I got off, like I remember a friend came up to me. He's like, dude, like I didn't know you could play all that stuff. And I'm thinking like, I'm like, yeah, like I, 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 I can. <laughs> I just like don't. I just haven't had the opportunity to. So that like kind of opened my eyes and was like, you know what? I definitely have the ability to really play anything, maybe not anything and everything, but you know, I have the ability to, to, to branch out and and do things that I didn't think I could like, you know, trap music for instance, which I don't listen to at all, (laughs) but like, but like understand like some of the mechanics there and stuff like that. It's kind of a matter of figuring out what, what you, find to be the most uh like interesting or fulfilling for you yeah right now the most fulfilling is like playing um jazz gigs mostly uh with especially with like brad fritcher he's got a really cool project that's more like modern jazz slash a little bit of hip-hop here and there kind of thing we kind of like you know take some old jazz standards and turn them on their head and do different arrangements and stuff like that like that's that's stuff where i excel more and shed more is you know um the the jazz kind of thing uh i don't even like calling it really that anymore though because it's not like what really we play all the time we definitely swing but it's not always like that it's probably like 20 percent of what we do wait shed uh, more oh no no like swing like in the and during those gigs okay uh, yeah so um so that's why i say like the word jazz is kind of like dead to me in a way because it's not like if if you're because if you're trying to explain that like what you do to someone who isn't a music nerd or, or a musician like then i say like oh we play jazz um but if it's someone who like understands where i'm getting at then like i'd kind of like describe like more of the sound we're, more of the modern sound we're getting at yeah. so like i like to i would like to push in that direction because i think i excel on that stuff um but like i said i'm open to um really anything like i said wherever kind of the the wave kind of takes me yeah and and tosses me you know in a different direction uh anything could happen in like even a year's time 
Uh, I think a lot. I think a lot's happened just in the last uh, five six months. Um, before you know, pre-corona, I think a lot. Even I think a lot happened already um, to kind of set me up to do uh, different things. Like I'm getting calls from people that I would never gotten calls from before, which is you know pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and work with people like I've never worked with before. So yeah, it's yeah. So it's nice. It's refreshing. Um, so like I said, I'm not trying to kind of like box myself in at all right. into like, into like, I need to get another band to tour with or something like that. Right. Like I did, I did that already and that was awesome. Uh, and it might happen again, but it's like not what I'm looking to now. Right. I'm looking to just kind of better myself as an individual. Um, yeah, just try to create just, you know, I mean, this is a lifetime goal, but cultivate my own sound. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That, you know, that, and- yeah. Which is like I said, it's a it's a lifelong process for sure. Yeah. So cool, yeah. That's that's always a question I'm thinking about. So the future is very open ended. Obviously, can't predict it. Um, but this is but like kind of like I mentioned before, this is a good time now to kind of hash out what direction you might want to go in, right. or to at least start pushing in. Um, I've I've been thinking about that a lot. For sure. Um, and. Uh, you know, part, part of the reason why, like I'm recording a little bit and, you know, maybe see what, what happens with that. Like if people like that and respond to that or, um, and obviously just keeping up on my craft. Um, yeah, like, I mean, I'm, I'm going to do this the rest of my life. <laughs> so, you know, a lot of, a lot of stuff can happen. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Anything else you'd like to add? Uh, wash your hands. yeah i'm just kidding uh i just hope everyone stays safe out there and uh hopefully we can do this sometime in person that would be pretty cool yeah yeah hopefully this turns out okay the uh i know like the audio i was recording from this mic was like it like kept stopping for some reason but so i might have to like switch to this gopro audio from i don't know oh right 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 right. yeah let me know how it turns out man yeah Uh, i'm looking forward to the cut yeah so there might be some some sections missing in there but uh this is, <laughs> this is a long conversation so there should be plenty of plenty of stuff sweet sounds good cool well have a have a great rest of your day and um yeah if you have some some loops or anything or messing around yeah, with I recordings do. or whatever yeah i'll have to send you some stuff Feel free um to, yeah. i'll uh yeah maybe i'll get on that tonight a little bit um i'm probably gonna go get whatever sunlight is out there right now it looks pretty cloudy but oh yeah it's i I just haven't been outside all day so i'm gonna go you probably got another two and a half hours three hours yeah yeah i'm gonna go stroll around the neighborhood a little bit and uh see what's good keep keep my distance shady side uh friendship well i I walk around in friendship i live in garfield but it's like okay yeah it's right there nice Yeah. yeah 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 cool all good all right man yeah thanks for uh thanks for calling yeah yeah thanks for being on uh sorry for the technical difficulties no worries all right take care man see ya all right man yeah peace talk to you